What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pals, Pass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE. Now, not usually this organized, but I got a couple of programming notes for you guys. This week, at some point, probably Thursday, you're going to be getting previews, and I said previews, uh, plural, because not only do we have Elimination Chamber going on this Saturday morning at 5 a.m., for those of us over here in, in my neck of the woods, and no, I'm not complaining, I think it's actually kind of cool, because you can get up, watch the pay-per-view, go right back to bed again, but also, I'll be getting up after already watching a pay-per-view, because for those of you following TNA, you know that the No Surrender pay-per-view is on Friday night at running side by each with uh, with SmackDown. So I will be doing a pay-per-view preview for No Surrender. I will be doing a pay-per-view preview for Elimination Chamber in Perth. And noted on your calendars now, March 3rd. And no, I'm not going to say anything derogatory. Yes, March 3rd is the day that AEW is basically perching an entire pay-per-view on the retirement of Sting, and the Young Bucks are trying to make it about them, so they have a pay-per-view that day. I am not watching that pay-per-view. I will be at a Destiny show watching El Diablo, El Diablo Gabriel Fuerza take on former AEW superstar Mustafa Ali, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But earlier that day, something's going to be dropping in your feeds, a nice little present from your buddy, your pal, Spaz Phoenix. It's the next episode of NXT Rewind, and it's looking back to 2015 once again in NXT TakeOver London. I just put that in the can over the weekend. And it was a lot of fun. It's kind of an up and down show. And to look at it from a perspective of, hey, look at all the people in this match. Hey, look where they all are now. It is quite a wild uh, show from that perspective. So March 3rd, NXT Rewind for NXT TakeOver London 2015. Look out. This Thursday morning, you should be getting two previews for Elimination Chamber and for No Surrender, for those of you that are following the TNA story. The TNA story, which is getting more and more interesting with the whole Scott Demore situation, I don't think we have all of that story just yet. It feels like, you know, corporate people came in, took them out because they wanted one of their guys in, but it seems from the rumblings that there's more going on there than what is on the surface. So I don't want to say too much about that right now. I've met Scott Demore. I met Scott Demore at a Destiny show. Yeah, big surprise. Check it out if you're Spaz Phoenix bucket list. It's fine. I'm not going to say that I know Scott Demore because I don't, but he seems like a really chill dude, really nice dude. And you see the overwhelming outpouring of support and sort of dismay. I, I don't want to say it like that, but just the the balloon was just starting to get blown up when they went back to TNA and they did Hard to Kill and everything was off to the races and it seems like a lot of people have had their balloon deflated by the by the news surrounding Scott Demore so we'll have to see how that goes but I am going to think positively I am going to look forward to uh, No Surrender please join me for that on Thursday and this Thursday on TNA, a guy that I have interacted with quite a bit, uh, to the point of uh, a couple of free tickets here and there for some Impact shows that took place at the Don Kolov, because he's a good guy, George Iceman, uh, who is currently the manager of Ash by Elegance, formerly known as Dana Brooke, who's making her debut this Thursday on TNA. So there's a whole lot of whole lot of really cool shit going on right there. You don't have to you don't have to flip the channel and go watch the Mud Show if you don't want to. I am going to treat this week's very much like I treated last week's episode of. Uh, of WWE last week. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details on a lot of stuff. I'm going to give you the building blocks that are getting us to Elimination Chamber because that's... There's two sets of things going on right now. It's Here's a building block for a pay-per-view that's coming up right now, and here's something that doesn't really matter. The ongoing story with our truth and the Judgment Day, per se, is a thing that just keeps going on. The ongoing thing between the Viking Raiders and the Alpha Academy is just sort of a thing that's going on in the background. Uh, and it's getting TV time, but it's not getting us to a pay-per-view. So I am... This is going to be sort of another bullet points... Um, version of WWE last week, <coughs> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry for those of you that are listening on headphones, if you like me doing it that way, I might just continue doing it this way, uh, we started off with New Day and Jey Uso taking on the Imperium, as we all thought this was going to lead to the solo 
or the, sorry, not the solo, the one-on-one -on -one singles, there we go, singles was the word I was looking for, match between Jey Uso and Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, I spoke a lot about this last week. Either this is going to get us Jay versus Gunther at... Um, at WrestleMania, or it's going to be the catalyst where Jimmy screws over Jay and they go on and, and do something. Here's the thing. I almost want to take a third option where, because we, after this match, we found out, I mean, New Day and Jay Uso got the win. Jay Uso pinned one of the other guys that's not Gunther. It's pretty formulaic. The match itself was a lot of fun. The match itself got a lot more time than I thought it would, but it's the story going forward that matters more. So, what I would like to see, because Jey Uso ain't winning the title on a random episode of of Raw, so Jay goes after Gunther, Jay gets fucked over by Jimmy, Jay and Jimmy have their match at Elimination Chamber, get that out of the way, still a big audience, still a big stadium crowd, uh, big international show in Australia, it's going to be a lot of fun, we're all going to be getting up at 5 in the morning, and some people are getting up at 2, and we're all going to be grumpy, but we're all going to watch the show anyway. Get that out of the way, and then you can revisit, like, hey, Gunther, you and I had a match, he got in my way, I got him out of my way, I want my match. I still think we get back, I still think we get back to Jay and Gunther at WrestleMania at some point. At least that's what I'd like to see. I'm all for Jay and Jimmy have always wanted to have a match at WrestleMania. I'm all for that. I really am. For them, for everything that they've contributed to the Bloodline story for the fact that Jey Uso should be the one to take the belt off Roman and it's not and that's always getting swept by the wayside um, for them to say hey this is just a match that we want can we please do it at Wrestlemania I'm all for that I would much rather personally see Jey Uso solidify himself as a singles guy solidify himself as a main eventer at, Wrestle at Wrestlemania not necessarily in the main event program but Gunther has made the Intercontinental Championship that important. Toppling Gunther has become something that important, and anybody getting a title match at WrestleMania is still important. So that's how I would like to see it go down. If Jay wins it tomorrow on Raw, fine, cool, that is absolutely awesome, and it'll, you know, give a little spike for, hey, tune into Raw, because sometimes cool shit happens. But also, do it, get the Jimmy and Jay thing out of the way at Elimination Chamber, and then do Jay Gunther again at WrestleMania is something I would like to see as well. Let me know what you guys like to see down in the box below. Um, somebody else has suggested it to me, and I can't think of who it is right now, so I'm sorry if you're listening to this right now, that you get Jay versus Jimmy versus Gunther at WrestleMania, and I don't think that holds nearly as much weight. The Jay and Jimmy thing means what it means. It has the history, it has the story, it has the, you know non-kayfabe knowledge that we all know that they've just wanted to do this forever. Toppling Gunther one-on-one -on -one is a huge thing. Toppling Gunther for the record-breaking Intercontinental Championship reign is one thing, and toppling Gunther for that record-breaking Intercontinental Championship reign at WrestleMania is a huge thing. I don't think you can interject this, here's a huge moment, here's a huge story, when they're so far apart. I don't would it be a good match? Would it be a lot of fun? Yes, absolutely. Would you get some inadvertent old-school Uso double-teaming on Gunther? Yes. Uh, it's not the story that I want to see play out. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, Gunther has made the Intercontinental Championship interesting. Jey Uso is not being recognized at all, but he's probably one of the biggest success stories of the whole Bloodline Saga? I mean, Sami Zayn was already somebody we wanted to see in the main event before the Bloodline. Roman Reigns was somebody that WWE wanted to see in the main event before the Bloodline ever came along. Jimmy is sort of lagging behind. Jay Solo is, is a monster, being pushed as a monster, which is awesome. The rumors of Randy Orton versus Solo Sokoa at WrestleMania are also something I would really, really like to see. Okay, so here's where we start getting into... Here's what I thought would happen versus here's what would have been cool. We got qualifying matches for the Elimination Chamber. Lashley defeated Bronson Reed to qualify for the Chamber. Now, am I surprised that they've put Bobby Lashley in the Elimination Chamber? No. The dude's a monster. The dude's a machine. The dude is any other attribute you want to put on him. I really want to care. I really do. I really think once it gets up off the ground and decides what it is, this feud between Bobby Lashley's group and the Final Testament will be something, but they have to 
tell us what right now it's just two groups that have said hey we're two groups and you're a group and we're a group and let's fight as a group um it's going to give Scarlet to do. It's going to give BFAB something to do. Street Profits staying on our screen. The Authors of Pain coming back to WWE in an on-screen capacity. All of those things, but you need to tell us what it is. Now, that being said, Bobby Lashley being in the Elimination Chamber, I get it. Because in a certain section of the fan base, he's really popular. And yes, I get that it's February. And yes, he's a powerhouse. And he's a former WWE champion and all of these things. But we're going to Australia. Last time we went to Australia, we featured the Iconics. We featured Buddy Murphy. Uh, this time, we know we're going to get a feature on Rhea Ripley. But Bronson Reed, give him something. Now... Rumors and speculations state that he might be taking some time off either because he's got family stuff to deal with or his wife might be having a kid or he might have personal things that he's dealing with or he might be carrying an injury. I've heard all of these things, so maybe he's going home to Australia and staying there for a while. And if that's the case, take out everything else that I just said, but all those things that I've heard about Bronson Reed and why he's off the card have all been various levels of speculation. If he's there and he's available and we see him doing like the press tours and whatever in Australia or in some backstage segment or a brawl somewhere instead of being in the Olympics. And also, take out the fact that he's from Australia. Bronson Reed in the Elimination Chamber would be a lot of fun. Fucking tsunami off the pod, that kind of thing. So Lashley in the Elimination Chamber... I get it. I don't dislike Lashley. It probably sounds like I'm dumping on the guy, but it's he's a way too predictable participant at this period of time. Not saying that the rest of them are all total shock jobs. Uh, I mean, we know that they've had to change suit. We know that initially it was supposed to be CM Punk winning the Elimination Chamber, so they have had to turn on dimes and, and such and so forth, and... They're pivoting. That's the word that everybody's using now. They're pivoting. We're doing this Rock, Roman, J, Seth tag match as a as a pivot we're doing elimination chamber differently as a pivot we have to find seth rollins a different opponent as a pivot we almost did cody and uh, and cm punk because we were going to do rock roman and now that's all pivoted they are pivoting and as i said i said this in my last thing overall not for this specific thing not to any one specific task but brock lesnar just got me too'd into oblivion which is bullshit Charlotte Flair is injured. Seth Rollins is working injured. Cody Rhodes is not Cody not Cody Rhodes. CM Punk is injured. So there's there's four big bullets out of your WrestleMania gun. So I mean, sorry, I hate to say it like this, but it's not if somebody's going to go out with an injury, it's it's not like you lost you know, R-Truth or Tizawa or, or or somebody like that. Now I don't want them to be injured. Please don't misunderstand me. But they wouldn't have the catastrophic effect on the WrestleMania card that somebody like a CM Punk or a Charlotte Flair or a... Who else is in there? Who else is out? Uh, Seth, we thought, was might be out. Brock Lesnar got fucked over, as, as I say. Um, I'm almost sure of it that Charlotte Flair was going to be a big showcase for Jade Cargill at WrestleMania. We we talked about it last week a little bit, how Jade Cargill was teased for the Elimination Chamber, and now they're holding her off, and we'll talk about that later on as well, but I mean, I think we're going to get uh, Bianca Belair versus Jade Cargill at WrestleMania, which is absolutely fine. I don't know how we get there, but, uh, <coughs> but that's absolutely... Absolutely fine. Seth Rollins came out and called out Cody Rhodes, and they talked about how he has to win and finish his story, and that phrase is just drilling into my skull a little bit, and he goes on to talk about, you have to beat your story, you have to do it for you, you have to do it for your family, you have to do it for the fans, and roddy roddy ra. Um, and he just talks about how bleak the WWE scene will be uh, if Roman continues to hold it after WrestleMania. Now, on the real side of things, people are speculating that he might win again at WrestleMania, which, I'm sorry, I'm going to pop 
fucking huge if that happens. I'm just saying. Uh, because they want him to beat uh, Roman, or sorry, they want Roman to beat Hulk Hogan's old title record. You know, just because, you know, woke, spiteful idiots are woke, spiteful idiots. Um, in that case, Cody Rhodes would get another title shot around SummerSlam. Now, I would buy that in the sense that they want SummerSlam to be another WrestleMania. They've always said, and it's always been pretty blatant, that they want SummerSlam to be another WrestleMania in another part of the year. Which is fine. Do it. But you have to say then, at that point, something that would have happened at WrestleMania is now happening at SummerSlam. Anything that you would have saved that was WrestleMania-worthy, you have to save some of that for SummerSlam now. It's kind of like... Why would anybody choose the world title that Seth Rollins has? Well, as long as you keep saying that, the title won't be worth anything. And then you'll come back and say the title's not worth anything, so why would somebody go after it? And then you'll say, why would somebody go after that title, making that title worth nothing? And it, it's a vicious cycle. It's the same thing with pay-per-views. It's the same thing when we talk about, like, night one of WrestleMania, is it really the main event? I don't personally think it is. I don't. But uh, it's, it's that kind of conversation. Seth then went on, though, to apologize to Cody and to apologize to the fans because the monster that Seth Rollins has, or that uh, Roman Reigns has become now is partially Seth Rollins' fault. Seth Rollins taught Roman everything he knew when they came out all those years ago in the flak jackets and then he turned on the shield and da 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 da. And he said, you know, it's not just. He says. What did he say? He said, Cody, you're gonna, you, you've won your way back to the same spot you were in last year, but what's your plan? And then he sort of sounds like the devious baby face. He's like, what's your plan? <laughs> because, you know, last year he had Solo, he had Jimmy, he had Jay, he had whoever else. He had Paul Heyman in his corner. Now he's got the most popular guy in the world, The Rock. So even though he's shitting on the bloodline, he's still putting over The Rock, which is absolutely amazing. He says, with the history that I have with Roman Reigns, you know, you and I don't have to like each other, but we do respect each other. All that kind of mutual babyface stuff. And the line of the night that sent everybody a flutter, including me, I'll be honest, um, there's nobody more uniquely suited in this situation to be your shield. Thought that was awesome. He sort of let it hang in the air. Everybody's sort of taking a swipe at what we already know. We're getting this tag team match on night one, which is weird, and I don't know what it looks like at all. And I'll get to it. I'll get to it later on. Uh, but that tag team match is just hanging in the air, and nobody's actually going to going to say it, which is fine. Um, Seth Rollins, while everybody keeps shitting on him, calling him a secondary champion, calling his title a secondary title, and even at the press conference, <laughs> even at the press conference, he was made to use like the third tit on a bull. But in amongst all that, what's going by the wayside and what's going beyond everybody's field of view is on the mic, Seth Rollins is doing some of the best, best promo work of his life. He's got a lot to work with. He's got a feud with Cody Rhodes. He's got a title that he's trying to get up off the ground. He's got all this history with Roman. He's got all the other people that he can speak for that were also screwed over by Roman and the bloodline and uh, that, etc. He's got a lot to play with. And I can't help but wonder what this whole situation would, like, would look like if CM Punk was in the mix as well. Because then I think you would get something... I think you would get something at some point, maybe at either either at Elimination Chamber or after WrestleMania Backlash. I have to believe you would get Seth, Cody, and CM Punk taking on like Rock, Roman, and Solo or something like that. But there's so much for him to play with. But Seth Rollins, even though he's being left off as like the fourth member of his own feud here, he's doing some of the best promo work of his life and I think he I know everybody loves Cody Rhodes and Cody Rhodes doesn't have to say anything because people will love him anyway Cody Rhodes is getting out promoted by Seth Rollins he is he just is going back to the elimination yeah, the elimination chamber I can speak I swear Liv Morgan defeated Zoe Stark to qualify for the elimination chamber it's awesome we're gonna roll off of the momentum of Liv Morgan just making her return she got arrested for a little bit of pot which was incredibly stupid and she was off for injury forever so her coming back and she does have a following it's it's kind of like the alexa bliss thing oh it's just another barbie doll which is a stupid
stupid argument to begin with. You're allowed to be white, blonde, and successful. I'm sorry. I know it's 2024, and there's a whole lot of 2024 in this 2024, but you are still allowed to be successful if you're not the popular pigment or the popular hair color. I'm sorry, but you just are. Just like Alexa Bliss has an undeniable mob fan base, so does Liv Morgan. And Liv Morgan's fucking awesome. And Liv Morgan, I'm, a, I'm an Alexa Bliss fan, but Liv Morgan's a better wrestler than Alexa Bliss. Let's be real for a second. Now, she's, the again, the obvious choice. And it's kind of a bummer because it looks like there's no traction for Zoe Stark. But it does look like they're slowly putting some weight behind this team that Zoe Stark has with Shayna Baszler. So I really want to think that by the time we get to WrestleMania, Zoe Stark, Shayna Baszler will be in that tag team title picture. I think a lot of people have said uh, we may get a women's tag team title showcase like we had the women's tag, the generic women's tag team showcase last year. I think you're going to get... Who are you going to get in there? You're going to get the Kabuki Warriors, obviously. You're going to get Katana Chance, Caden Carter. Hopefully, Eladon and Alba Fire. Uh, these two, probably Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. Let's be real. They're not ever too far away. Candice and, uh, Candace and Indy Hartwell. Uh, maybe it's a gauntlet this year instead of a straight-up four-way showcase. Um, so I don't mind people that are in tag teams necessarily losing this because maybe they already have something to do. And... I'm sorry, getting four or six women's tag team uh, tag teams together for a showcase is a little bit different, and one small step up from the super generic, uh, what was it going to be? It was going to be the Fabulous Moolah WrestleMania Cup Battle Royal nonsense. Basically the female version of the Andre, which doesn't really have any thing either. So, hoping that Zoe lost here because she's in a tag team. Oh, and also Maxine Dupree and uh, Ivy Nile are another tag team that they've been slowly putting together. Natty and Tegan Knox are in there. Uh, I really wish we still had Ember Moon because Ember Moon and Shotzi and NXT was a really awesome tag team. We're going to talk about Shotzi in a second. That situation is super unfortunate. Um, big shout out to uh, Ember Moon slash Athena because... I don't watch ROH, but even the people that do watch ROH are basically telling me, like, she's the only reason to watch the show. And I like her. I think she's awesome. But I'm not buying an entire streaming service to watch one show and to only watch one wrestler on that show. Just not going to do it. So Liv Morgan qualified for the Chamber. Awesome. She's going to do some crazy shit. Uh, J.D. McDonough defeated R-Truth after he was told once again in the back by Damian Priest that no, this hasn't been an initiation, we've just been kicking the shit out of you because you're not in the Judgment Day. Uh, J.D., uh, I didn't even write down, yeah I did. J.D. defeated R-Truth and there was a four-on-one beatdown afterwards. When R-Truth started realizing that he was actually not in the Judgment Day and that they were actually going to kill him, he was frantically on his phone trying to get a hold of The Miz, who was in California, how, I think they were in Kentucky? Please somebody correct me if I'm wrong. You know, how long does it take somebody to get from California to Kentucky and Adam Pearce basically shoved him out the curtain and said, hey, you're fucked, go have your match. Um... But The Miz had gotten it in touch with DIY. DIY come down and make the save, which is awesome. There's some story there. Awesome truth. Have a story. Miz has a babyface trio history with DIY, which I know a lot of people don't like. But they came down. They made the save. DIY are still trying to get their hands on those, on those tag titles as well. Now, they're not in the current title situation because they lost the match to Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate. That's what we're doing at Elimination Chamber. And it's fine. Becky Lynch came out and cut a really passionate promo about what being in the business has meant to her. You know, she's had all kinds of bumps and bruises, and it's cost me a lot, and I've missed things, and I've missed my family, I missed my own dad's funeral, but it's also given me everything. I found my husband here, I had my daughter with my husband, who's, you know, been seen on TV, and, and all that kind of thing, and wrestling has given her everything, but now she has to, you know, explain to her kid why her face is bloody and why her arms are so sore she can't pick her up, why daddy wants to beat up Maui, which I'm assuming is The Rock's character in Moana. Somebody help me down. Somebody with kids help me out down in the box below. And she's going to have to explain to her why she does what she does to everybody in the Elimination Chamber because that's how she's going to get to WrestleMania and all that kind of thing. I just think, again, um, Becky Lynch doesn't 
like I'm a huge fan of Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is sort of hitting it out of the park right now, kind of like Seth Rollins. Becky Lynch, I'll admit, doesn't always knock it out of the park on the microphone. I don't care. She's a fucking star. She could come out there and say nothing, and the people that love her will love her. But she doesn't always hit it out of the park on the mic. Recently, she has been. It's been really good. Um, she gets cut off by Nia Jax and says, okay, well, if you've been in the Elimination Chamber, you're going to be fighting me because I'm going to get my hands on Rhea Ripley. Ripley comes down. She's kind of sick of it all. And I love that Rhea Ripley can have these moments with Nia Jax. I've been over my thoughts on Nia Jax getting put in this position at this particular pay-per-view. I don't think it's the right call at all. But one thing is that Rhea Ripley can come in and she doesn't look like the giant in the ring. So she can actually come in and rush the ring and come in and show some speed and be the, the faster person in the ring. Which she doesn't get to play a lot because Rhea Ripley herself is fucking huge and like I said, Rhea Ripley fucking star. So it's one of those cases where Rhea doesn't like Becky, Becky doesn't like Rhea, but they do have that sort of begrudging respect for each other. Neither one of them has any respect for Jax and they do have sort of like that momentary they work together to get Jax out of the ring. They stare each other down and it's like, hey, we we, we know we just helped each other out there, but by the way, I'm going to kick your ass one day. And it is the most telegraphed thing in the world that Becky Lynch that Becky Lynch is going to win the chamber. Rhea Ripley is going to win her match at chamber. We're going to get Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. We were we were advertising it for like two years in like backstage confrontations. We advertised it without advertising it at the press conference. We've been doing it ever since. Rhea Ripley hasn't gone face to face with any of the other opponents in the Elimination Chamber. It's happening. It's a formality. But I don't care because Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch. I'm sorry. Uh, it is it is a bone of contention with me. Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch. I would put in the spot on night one if we weren't doing this weird rock Roman tag thing. And I know that goes against what I've said, where the other Rumble winner should get the other main event. So it should be EO and Bailey. So I've got this balance in my head of who are the bigger stars, who's the match I want to see. And that's Becky and Rhea. And who's got the story? That's obviously the dissolution of damage control. And who's got the sort of like the wrestling logic, which is Bailey won the Rumble. So I don't think either one of them are going to main event night one, though, which really really sucks. Um, they're both going to be amazing, though. Um, if they're not going to main event, I hope Becky and Rhea and Io and Bailey are the opening matches on both nights, because they deserve that fresh, we just got here or we want some fucking wrestling pop. <coughs> Excuse me. We get a hype package for Andrade, and weirdos in the in the Twitter verse are complaining that he doesn't make reference to his time in AEW. Why would WWE advertise anything to do with AEW when AEW exists by bashing WWE? That's it. I have I have no time for this argument, but it's out there and it's it's fine. LA Knight LA Knight defeated Ivar to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. And again, I, I should be more excited than that. I like LA Knight. I think LA Knight's going to be a lot of fun in the chamber. Ivar. Ivar would have been a lot of fun in the chamber. Much like I said with uh, Bronson Reed doing a tsunami off the pod. Give me Ivar doing a doom salt off the pod. Would have been great. LA Knight qualifies for the chamber. Pretty, pretty, pretty predictable stuff, which is fine, I suppose. Next week on Raw, we're getting Drew versus Cody because that's a thing that needs to happen, apparently. Um, we're getting Jay versus Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship, so we'll see how Jimmy gets involved, or how Jay comes up short, or how the guys in Imperium fuck him over, or whatever the case may be. I want Jay to win that belt. Don't think it's going to happen on Monday. And we're getting the four-on-four four that I thought we would get much later, which is Awesome Truth and DIY taking on all four members of Judgment Day. So we've got a lot to look forward to this Monday slash this morning as you're as you're listening to me right now. Switching over to NXT really, really briefly. 
Uh, this week coming up, we have Lexus King, and he's going to get destroyed by Obafemi as he tries to get the North American Championship. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, they confirmed the match between Shotzi Blackheart and Lyra Valkyria for this week on NXT for the NXT Women's Championship. Now, because there's a scheduling conflict, and apparently they taped both episodes of NXT last week because some of the NXT stars are going to Australia... I don't know. Um, so we already, you can find the results for that taping if you want to. I didn't look up the results, but unfortunately, it came out pretty quick that they had that match, Shotzi and Lyra Valkyria, and Shotzi was injured in that match. So that really sucks. And that's all I can really say. You guys know I got a soft spot in my heart for Shotzi. I've seen her wrestle at Destiny. Yes, check it out for Spass Phoenix Bucket List. It's fine. I've seen her wrestle at Destiny. I've chatted with her. I've I've met her. Um, I like what she did in NXT. I like her shtick. I like how weird her her character is. I loved the feud that she had with Bailey that caused her to shave her head uh, when her sister was going through cancer and she wanted to do the head shaving thing. Anyway, I just think she's different and cool and an awesome sort of mid-card participant in the, the roster right now that deserves at some point to be put in a title feud. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because the star power in the WWE slash NXT women's division is absolutely stacked, but it's just, it's, it's bummer stuff. I don't want to put this in here as a, as a spoiler because I don't want to spoil this week's episode of NXT, but an injury story is kind of outside that, oh, I wish I had seen that on Tuesday because I don't want to see anybody get hurt. The other thing we got to talk about this past week on NXT is the Wolfdogs beat the family, Tony D and Stax, and they are the new NXT Tag Team Champions. Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin are your NXT Tag Team Champions. Now, that gets really, really confusing in a minute, but as I've said... Waving the flag for Baron Corbin. And I said, you've got a... Uh, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? NXT Rewind coming up March 3rd. Watch your podcast feed. One of the matches on that card is Apollo Crews versus Baron Corbin. Gave me a lot, a lot of uh, more chances to talk about early days Baron Corbin in NXT when he was kind of like the anti-indie guy. I've been waving the flag for Baron Corbin for a long time. He made it to the finals of the very first Dusty Cup and then lost to Samoa Joe and Finn Balor. Right call at the time. Samojo and Finn Balor are a much more star-driven team than what was Baron Corbin and Rhino at the time. But to have all of this, to have all the character fuckery that Baron Corbin has had since NXT, to do the whole, like, he's lost all his money, to he got all his money back, to the commissioner, to the King Corbin shit, to go back to NXT find himself again, finally win a Dusty Cup, and win the NXT Tag Team Championships is an absolute win story for Baron Corbin. And that's to say nothing about the absolute awesome, like, mixed tag jock energy that he has with Braun Breaker. I love this team. These guys are so good at being an obnoxious heel team that they've baby-faced themselves. And it's awesome. I will say, go back, watch NXT, and yeah, they're obnoxious, sort of semi-heel guys, and yes, in character, they just won belts, so obviously they're celebrating. Go watch their faces, and tell me if that's not some real shit. That's all I've got. Really, really happy for those guys. Hope that they continue as a tag team. Moving on. Over on SmackDown, Kevin Owens defeated Dominic Mysterio, shock of all shocks, to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. Now, our truth, our truth was down there distracting both of them because our truth thinks that Kevin Owens is the Miz, isn't it hilarious? But also, he's distracting Dominic Mysterio because he thinks he's in the Judgment Day, which is which is fantastic. Um, Kevin Owens defeats Dominic Mysterio because of course he does. Although, I'll go with Simon Miller on this one. I'm happy that KO is in the match. Dominic Mysterio in the Elimination Chamber would have been fucking hilarious. Um, that's all I gotta say about that. In the back, um, in the back, there was an interview with Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne about their upcoming Tag Team Championship match against the Judgment Day. 
and they walk by Dominic Mysterio, they make fun of him, and they say, hey, how about next week you and your teammate R-Truth face us in a tag match, and he gets pissed off and walks away. Eventually it is made, but eventually it's going to be Dominic Mysterio and J.D. McDonough, obviously, because we know R-Truth's not in the Judgment Day, or is he? Now, another one. Another one that I'm a big fan of. Another success story from NXT. Tiffany Stratton defeating Zelina Vega to qualify for the for the Women's Elimination Chamber. Awesome story, right? I love everybody involved in this. I really, really do. I have some problems with how this went down, though. Tiffany Stratton has had a debut match, her participation in the Rumble, and this match so far on the main roster. In the Rumble, she was awesome. Like I say, entering the Rumble via Swanton onto everybody was great. Her match with Mia Yim last week, I think, really over-delivered because I think people don't rate Mia Yim, which is also a crime. Um, I like Zelina Vega. Zelina Vega came out with Cruz del Toro, Joaquin Wilde, and Carlito, but then they left her and went to the back so she could fight on her own. Legado del Fantasma, Angel Umberto uh, Santos Escobar, and Electro Lopez are by the by the guardrail there. Vega gets distracted by them. She throws some hands with Car- with uh, I keep wanting to say Carmen Electra, Electro Lopez, and then the guys from LWO come down and it's a big schmoz. Tiffany Stratton eventually gets a knockout and a prettiest moonsault ever for the win. Now, here's the thing: I like Legato, I like LWO, I like Zelina Vega specifically. I'm a huge fan of Tiffany Stratton. I love that we're in the time of day right now where we're so far gone from the diva Barbie doll era that somebody can actually come in and play the diva Barbie doll as a character, and it works. And the fact that she's fucking fantastic in the ring for the amount of time that she's actually been wrestling. It all works. And I know you wanted to have some schmoz in this match so that Zelina Vega doesn't look like she totally got buried by the newbie. I understand that. But also, Tiffany Stratton looks like she needed a distraction by, like, eight people on the outside of the ring to get a win over Zelina Vega, who I would love it if she was more focused, but Zelina Vega ain't that focused on at all, other than in her position within the LWO, like Electra Lopez will be in her position within Legado del Fantasma. Um, It's just a little bit off. She still got to look great. Zelina Vega still got to look great. Um, she was doing modified 619s and all the cool, crazy shit that she does. She, there were people talking online about her ring gear. I know she's got a lot of gamer-related ring gear stuff. I'm not going to pretend I get it. I'm not a gamer. I have WWE 2K games because I'm a WWE fan, not because I'm a gamer. Tiffany Stratton in the Rumble, or sorry, in the Chamber is going to be a lot of fun. I hope that we don't have a situation where Vega comes into the chamber trying to get revenge on Tiffany, which will bring in Electra Lopez, which will bring in the LWO, which will bring in Legato, because that's a lot of extra people to flood into the women's elimination chamber. And not a lot of them are women, so let's just let's just give the ladies their platform, and that'll be it. Authors of Pain had a squash. And that's all I would say about this, because they came back to join Karrion Cross in the Final Testament, and it's all good. And as a package, they're pretty... Pretty cool. Paul Ellering being their manager while Scarlett is also a manager while Karrion Cross is talking for all of them while the Authors of Pain are standing in the background looking menacing and whatever. But they still had to come back and have a match. So they had a match against two random guys from NXT. Now, my problem is I watch NXT. The one big dude in the team, I don't know who it was. So he's probably from the NIL system or like somebody from the PC that hasn't been used on TV yet. But the other one was Javier Barnell. How are you going to job out Big Body Javi? I don't like it. They won with the Super Collider. It's great. Um, Big Body Javi's not that big, and the other guy was. So when you've got a move that's supposed to be like a mirror image thing, like the Super Collider is, it it didn't look like that. But like AOP matches are never that pretty, so it kind of worked in their favor. Um, Authors of Pain have had their debut, and their Back on the roster. Hey! The uh, the other guys didn't get involved. Lashley was on Raw for reasons. Um, and then we kind of move on. I, it was kind of like, here's the AOP. They're here again. And they squashed somebody. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's Big Body Javi. They squashed Big Body Javi. Now I'm sad. 
Logan Paul defeated The Miz because of course he did to qualify for the Elimination Chamber. I love the fact that a couple weeks ago on SmackDown they said, okay, this week on SmackDown, Nick Aldis is going to tell us the new number one contender for Logan Paul's United States Championship. And instead, he announced that Logan Paul is being in the Elimination Chamber trying to be a number one contender for another belt. Love it. Love it. WWE never change. Um, Miz doing Miz things. Logan Paul doing Logan Paul things. For very different reasons, nobody's going to admit that either one of these guys are good. And they're both good. They're not great. They're not five stars in the Tokyo Dome, brother. But they're good. Don't don't worry about it. Logan Paul's awesome. I saw this great thing that uh, people put up on Twitter. Uh, and again, I'm really sorry. I wish I could credit the person that, that posted it, that shared it with me, that did whatever so that I could see it. But it's a side-by-side -side of all the offense that Logan Paul does that's similar to Hangman Page. Here's the problem. Every single side-by-side, -side, the one pulling off the maneuvers more spectacularly is Logan Paul. So please get the emo cowboy out of my screen and away from my good WWE product. A. Awesome. I don't know. I don't know. Logan Paul's in the Illumination Chamber. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say, people? Um... We got the random announcement that as part of the Elimination Chamber in Australia, Grayson Waller is going to be hosting a Grayson Waller effect. So once again, unless he's injured, unless there's a reason he's not wrestling, which there isn't because he's wrestled recently, a lot like Bronson Reed, why is Grayson Waller not having a match at the Elimination Chamber in Australia? Make it make sense. Please make it make sense. That's all I've got. But he gets to host a big announcement, I suppose, because his guests on the Grayson Waller effect, Grayson Waller, who's on SmackDown, who's hosting the Grayson Waller effect at the Elimination Chamber, is going to be hosting Raw superstars Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. This only serves to be the place we announce that tag team match. They're going to come out, they're going to talk some shit about the bloodline, Rock and Roman are going to come out, they're going to lay down the challenge, or Rock and Roman are going to lay down the challenge, and it's going to be made official in Australia in front of 55,000 of them. I don't understand, and I know they did it with stuff like Ronda Rousey's contract signing, I know they've done it with other things in the past, I know they did it with, you know, Kevin Owens doing the KO show with Austin because they were going to turn it into a match at WrestleMania, but... I don't understand advertising a talking segment on a pay-per-view. It doesn't sit right with me. Grayson Waller should have a match. Even if it's even if it just turns into Cody Rhodes versus Grayson Waller on the night. Something like that. Um, I mean, I would love to have somebody else come out and shoot their shot. Like, okay, there's two big names like Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. I'll go interrupt. Give me Cody Rhodes versus Carmelo Hayes as an impromptu match on a pay-per-view. That I would sign up for. That would be interrupted by Trick Williams, and they could use that huge stadium show to advertise their match at Stand and Deliver. I don't know. I've got a lot of good ideas here. But Bronson Reed and Grayson Waller don't have matches on the Australia show. Make it make sense. WWE ain't perfect. Now, we had some, uh, some footage in the back. And it was Nick Aldis's office, and Nick Aldis was at a table with Jade Cargill and Braun Breaker, and sort of off to the side watching TV in his office was Liv Morgan from Raw and Bianca Belair from SmackDown. And Tiffany Stratton comes in, and she says, I'm not quite sure about the rules of this elimination chamber. Do I pin you first, or do I pin you first? Toodles! And uh, I love the fact that Jade Cargill cut them off and said, uh, why are you guys doing all this nonsense during my big business meeting? Made me smile. Made me smile a whole bunch. She got frustrated and left. And uh, Aldis said, uh, hey, Braun, come with me. Steps out of the curtain, steps out in front of the crowd, makes the announcement to the crowd that Braun Breaker has signed for SmackDown. They made it a big deal. They made it like some guy joining a new team, getting his jersey, getting his hand raised by the general manager. They had some fake photographers standing in the front there, making it making it seem like a big deal. And this is something I want to say 
for WWE in general, for the call-ups, for the returns, for the people that have come back from injury and whatever, I love that it's not just this GM claims this guy, this GM claims this guy, sort of like preemptively before the draft draft stuff. I love that it's the GMs competing for the athlete to decide to be on their show. It's a slight change. It's just a little bit of a tilt in the next direction, but it gives the characters so much more agency and so much more um, strength behind their words. Um, it's just really good. You get the feeling that Braun Breaker was being approached by everybody. You get the feeling that Jade Cargill... Jade Cargill was featured in the back in meetings on NXT and Raw and SmackDown. So everybody wanted Jade Cargill. Makes her seem like a big deal. Braun Breaker, he's made his name in NXT. He's coming up from NXT. So the two main roster guys, they want this guy. Uh, Tiffany Stratton and Naomi, not so much. They came out with their contracts and just signed them. Uh, Andrade, they made that announcement on on Raw. And they sort of, you sort of saw... Uh, Pierce presenting him with the contract. I think that's so much better than WWE just saying, okay, you go here, you go here, you go here, like drawing names out of a hat. Um, giving that much agency to the characters, especially new characters, is a great way to send them on their way. And I've I've rambled quite enough on that one. Naomi beat Alba Fire to qualify for the Chamber. Alba Fire stepped in at the last minute to replace Shotzi Blackheart for reasons that we've already established. Once again, I don't mind Alba Fire losing... Uh, she's in a tag team, and she's in a tag team that I hope gets featured more because um, her and Isla Dawn are a really fun team. Isla Dawn we haven't seen wrestle in a while, so again, it's one of those, is something up with her, and it's holding both of them up now. I don't really know. And, of course, Naomi is in the chamber. She's new, and she's back, and she's the conquering hero that dropped out of the company, blah, blah, blah. She's Sasha Banks Jr. It's fine. And by the way, it's February. Fuck me. She's still knockoff Jeff Hardy. <laughs> she is. I don't know what to say. I do think it's kind of cool that she's carried over the submission move, the, what is it, the star lock or whatever that she was using in TNA. That's a nice thing. Uh, the continuity that she already has from her NXT life to, or sorry, from her TNA life to her WWE life with the interaction that her and Jordan Grace had at the Rumble, which was fucking awesome, I'm going to say it, um, but why would you pretend that that wasn't a thing? Why would you not, hey, I picked up this new submission while I was out on, uh, what, what, what the fuck do they call it? Well, I was out on excursion, I learned one submission move, and it seems to be way more effective than putting my ass in people's face. Just saying... I'm happy she's back. It's it's fine. Like, you knew she was going to come back eventually. I don't... She's not Sasha Banks. If we were going to get one of them back, I, w I would much rather it be Naomi. But uh, And it's been kind of cool the past couple of weeks on TNA because they pre-taped their shows. So to see Naomi sort of showing up on SmackDown and TNA at the at the same time was kind of a neat thing for a little bit and she's not a bad wrestler i'll never say she's a bad wrestler when they had her using the rear view as a finisher that wasn't a good look for her or for wwe um but yeah she's going to do that split-legged leg drop pin thing that she used to do in combination with this star lock um it's fine it looks painful i will say it looks painful as shit so good for her she's in the chamber and then I don't want to gloss over it, but it, they didn't really do anything. The ending segment was the Bloodline coming out first, and The Rock, you know, demanding his acknowledgement and all that kind of thing, and then saying, I don't want you people to be stupid tonight. I don't want you to ruin this great friggin' moment. You know, tonight's the night The Rock joins The Bloodline. The Rock comes out. The Rock's got a ridiculous shirt on like he wore 20 years ago. He was telling everybody that they were inbred hicks with 20 wives and 30 relatives. He told some fat guy he was going to slap the herpes off of his face, and he did all The Rock goodness. And let me just say something to you. The Rock goodness is good. The Rock goodness was part of probably the most profitable time ever, if you look at it contextually. And the rock goodness is entertaining. Oh, but it's childish. I don't care. Oh, but it's so immature. I don't care. Oh, but it's so 20 years ago. I don't care. I don't care. It's good. 
you know, The Rock came out when he was when he had his feud with with John Cena, and he's like, "Look, I'm bigger than you. It doesn't matter what I say; they'll tweet it." He he proved it. He got them to get Cookie Puss trending. He could do it today, even though people are fake raging against him because, as a wrestling fan, as a good wrestling fan, you're supposed to go for the five star wrestler that is Cody Rhodes. We're gonna pretend that he's not all the same things that we hated about John Cena ten years ago. You have to. So you have to fake rage against Roman Reigns, and you have to fake rage against The Rock, and you have to fake rage against the Bloodline. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The match that we are no longer getting, and he said it in his promo, and I'm going to tell it to you all right now. You can do whatever you want to do with Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is great. Cody Rhodes is the... You know, he's another one of those, oh, I left WWE and I made myself undeniable trademark. And I came back and I was bigger and I was huger and I made myself into something that they wanted back. Cool. Good for you. Good for you. How many people know about anything that Cody Rhodes did with MJF, who I also like, you guys know that, or Kenny Omega, who's also there, or anything like that. I'm sorry, I like Darby Allen, but Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen happened on a random dynamite. It was probably fantastic. I'm sorry, people that have never laid their eyes on a wrestling ring know what Rock and Austin did. They know what Austin and McMahon did. They know what Rock and Hogan did in Toronto. And I was fucking there. Roman is the biggest thing in current WWE. Whether you like him or not, he is. Everything that they have built around him. And yes, the company has built it around him. That's kind of how it works. It's very elite of them. Roman Reigns versus The Rock was the biggest match that they could do at WrestleMania. Roman Reigns versus The Rock is bigger than Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. Who was the story? The story is he walked into the company and said, I want a belt, it's my story. The story is, eh, you guys liked my brother and you liked my dad, tear, 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 by the way, my wife's black and my kid is mixed, so you have to like me. That's Cody Rhodes' story, I hate to tell you. He's probably a great dude, don't get me wrong, but go look at some of those weird pro Go look at the weird promos he was cutting when he was getting ready to fight... Uh, Googly, whatever his name Anthony Agogo, Googly. Made me sound like an asshole, that's fine. But that shit was weird, and I dare you, I dare you to show me a promo where he doesn't lean on his brother, lean on his wife, lean on his kid, lean on his dad, or the person cutting the promo with him doesn't do that lifting for him in the promo. Just don't be weird. It's fine. Cody Rhodes is great. As a current day 2024, yeah, he's right at the top. But I'm sorry, you're sitting at the kiddie table when the other option is The Rock versus Roman Reigns. You just are. You just are. Anyway, so they came out and they said, oh, yeah, people got online and they bitched and they moaned about Cody's story. And then he said, yeah. So Cody got his way through the Rumble last year and he went to WrestleMania and he lost to my cousin. Yeah, he just slapped him around. And instead of, you know, dusting himself off like a man and admitting his losses like the 49ers did at the Super Bowl, now I don't watch football, so I don't give a shit about the 49ers reference. And by the way, if anybody's wondering, I don't give a shit about Taylor Swift either. But it was still funny, like, and then he went through a bunch of other sports, where, oh, these guys won, did they come back the next day and demand a rematch? No, they dusted themselves off, they admitted their failures, and they went home, because that's what men do. But now you're dealing with the bloodline, now you're dealing with the most you know, the strongest version of the bloodline ever, and then he signs it all off with, if you smell it, l -l 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 -l, long pause, what the bloodline is cooking. And they do the ones in the air, except The Rock doesn't know how to do it properly, because he puts his hand in an L shape. Now, if that's his way of saying he's the new leader of the bloodline, like the captain of a team having a C on their jersey, and so his hand motion is going to be different than cool. I don't think it is. I think that was a fuck-up on his part. But all of them, the funny thing about all of this, the funny rewind aspect of all of this, is all of them standing up there with their arms in the air, with the ones up. It didn't look like the bloodline. It kind of looked like the Nation of Domination. He had to put something bloodline adjacent into his cliche catchphrase, if you smell, whatever, 
what I'm cooking. He had to do what the bloodline is cooking, or else what would happen is what's been happening. Because while they both overshadow Cody Rhodes, yes, The Rock is also overshadowing Roman Reigns, which is a bit shit, but we'll see how that goes. We're going to see The Rock and Roman Reigns as a tag team. And here's my point. Here's what I'm going to say about this, right? How does that tag team match go? There's only... Everybody assumes that Seth Rollins is in that match to lose. Or he's going to be the one to get pinned. I posit to you the opposite thing. The absolute opposite thing has to happen. That match ends with Seth Rollins pinning The Rock. And I'll tell you for why, right? The Rock doesn't need to win. Because The Rock's not marching back into that stadium the next night to have another match. Seth Rollins is the underappreciated champion with the underappreciated championship and he'll probably have the underappreciated championship match on night two of WrestleMania. He needs all the hype behind him that he can. He needs a win. Rock can eat a loss. Now, Rock, or sorry, Roman and Cody Rhodes are facing each other the next night. They need to be as equal to each other as possible for that match to make any sense, for that match to feel the way it's supposed to feel. Roman can't lose, Roman can't win, Cody can't lose, Cody can't win. The two of them have to stay neutral for that match to, to make sense, to me anyways. So the only, the only thing that makes sense for that match is that night one of WrestleMania ends with Seth Rollins pinning The Rock. Because what you do there, among a whole bunch of other things, is you can immediately have Roman Reigns turn on The Rock after WrestleMania. Because if he drops that belt to Cody Rhodes on night two, which he probably will because the fans will cry loud and it will happen, he can turn around and blame The Rock for coming in, overshadowing him, costing them their tag team match on night one that dented his confidence on night two that led to you know, bad momentum and, and whatever the case may be. Now, Seth Rollins, who's going in, we know he's working injured. It's a hell of a story for him to work two WrestleMania matches while we know he's injured. For him to get the boost that he needs, he needs to beat the biggest guy in the ring. And as much as I like Seth Rollins, as much as I like Roman Reigns, as much as I like Cody Rhodes, I'm coming around on Cody Rhodes. You guys are hearing it happen live in your ear holes. The biggest person in that match is The Rock. Seth Rollins is the most forgotten person in that match. Seth Rollins pinning The Rock not only pulls him out of that image, puts a little bit of stank on him when he goes into night two to face, I don't know, Drew McIntyre or whoever he's facing. I still think uh, triple threat with him and Drew and Sami Zayn would be awesome. But um, you have to keep Roman and Cody even. So neither one of them can win, and neither one of them can lose. Seth Rollins can't afford to lose, and The Rock doesn't need to win. Seth Rollins pins The Rock night one, and goes into maybe... Maybe they play it up that uh, Seth Rollins pins The Rock on night one, and then Seth Rollins versus whoever is the opening match of night two. So you link the night before to the night after, all kinds of things can, can happen there. There's all kinds of things to think about, to talk about, and, and whatever. But, yeah, not to be repetitive. If that tag team match gets clarified, as we all think it will be, and I think it's going to happen at the Elimination Chamber, that match has to end with Seth Rollins pinning The Rock. Eventually, you get Seth Rollins versus The Rock one-on-one -on -one later on down the line, I think. We've got CM Punk who sat there on commentary at the press conference, and he was shooting his shots at The Rock. So let's do that one more time. Let's see if The Rock's arms are still too short to box with God. Um, and then just go down the line, Punk versus Roman, Punk versus Seth, Punk versus Cody, Punk versus Jey Uso for something at some point. Um, I mean, if, if, if Punk goes down to the mid-card and wants to feud for the Intercontinental Championship, the Workhorse Championship... Um, you could get something really special out of CM Punk and, and Jey Uso 
at some point as well. I've gone way off on a tangent here right now. So let's look at what we have next week. Next week on Raw, we have Drew versus Cody. Next week on Raw, we have Jay versus Gunther for the title. Next week on Raw, we have Awesome Truth and DIY taking on all four members of the Judgment Day. Next week on SmackDown, we have AOP versus the Street Profits. We have Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate taking on JD and Dominic. We have Braun Breaker debuting. Now, I won't say what happens. It's pretty obvious. Braun Breaker is debuting against another NXT favorite in Dante Chen. And we've got LA Knight taking on Drew McIntyre after a confrontation that they had on SmackDown whatsoever. Now, on NXT, we have, I guess, the Wolf Dogs celebrating their title win, but also figuring out how to handle the fact that Braun Breaker's on SmackDown. I don't even know if they're going to show the women's title match with Shotzi being injured during it. We've got Lexus King, who's going to absolutely get obliterated by Obafemi, and it's going to be hilarious as they build towards... What's the next one? Roadblock. And then we've got Elimination Chamber, which right now, as it sits, as we go into Monday Night Raw, I hope they add another match to this, because right now it's only a four-match card. we got Ripley versus Jax. we got Priest and Balor taking on Dunn and Bate. We've got the Men's Elimination Chamber with Orton, Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre, LA Knight, Logan Paul, and Bobby Lashley. And we've got the Women's Elimination Chamber match, I'm sorry I'm losing my voice, which is Becky, Bianca, Liv, Tiffany, Naomi, and one person who's going to win a last chance battle royal this coming Monday on Raw, or today, as you're listening to this. I hope they add another match on here, even if it's just like a fun one, like Dominic Mysterio versus R-Truth on the kickoff, or something. Dominic Mysterio versus R-Truth in front of... 55,000 screaming Australians would be fucking great. Anyways, <coughs> uh, you guys have been putting up with me, coughing in your ears, speaking with a very raspy voice, and getting through this this podcast as well as I possibly can. I do thank you. Please stay tuned later on this week. We're going to get a preview for Chamber. We're going to get a preview for No Surrender. And mark your calendars for March 3rd, the next episode of NXT Rewind, looking back at NXT TakeOver London 2015. Thank you all for listening. I've been Spaz, your YWC Reality Check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation, keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.